don't really have an outline, and I don't want to keep you all along. Uh, yeah. So, when I was pondering about what to preach, A, my, I was going to, like, teach on Mark, and I figured that would be more lines of our thoughts and our attentions for today, but I didn't get that prepared, uh, my, my ridge. And then I said to Holly, well, maybe I should just continue on Easter doing biblical sexuality, and she says she didn't think that was a good idea. <laughs> and, and, I th- and I have, have uh, I think that was so wise of her. <laughs> uh, we, will, we will either pick up on Mark or pick up on biblical sexuality next week. So I want to just simply just bring out a couple thoughts about the resurrection. Uh, we touch on these uh, occasionally. And I've been, I've been beating around the path about what actually to say, but uh, I just want to talk about one particular part of the resurrection account. The most glorious thing that happened almost 2,000 years ago. Depending on your calendar, it's between 1990 to 1993, somewhere around there a real historical event took place. And it has and still continues to impact not only this world at large and the movement of Western history and thought. Uh, Well, not just Western history, but all of human history. But it has a real impact on my life right now. And I have believed it. Someone one day told me a simple historical story of something that truly happened. And I put my trust and my faith in it. And all of its implications. And it changed my life. And you that are sitting here, the same thing happened to you if you're saved. Someone told you about Christ. Acts chapter 2, I want to I bring out this thought just real quickly. We're going to look at a few places. But before we read, we generally think about how the resurrection is connected with us. And that's okay because the Scriptures tell us to. Um, Romans 4, as Paul was bringing out his doctrine of justification in the very last verse of Romans 4, he says that Christ was delivered and crucified for our offenses and raised for our justification. Uh, He put our sins to death on the cross, and we have life in Him because He got up, because He is alive. And because He lives... And sooner or later, we'll get to that part in John 14 on the first Sunday of each month. But because He lives, we shall live also. Our life is wrapped up in His life. But I want to talk about the glory of Christ that was declared 
about 1,990 years ago on a Sunday morning, probably no different than today, sun shining, the, 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 the sun shining, the uh, leaves bristling in the wind, and the very first gospel declaration went forth. He's alive, and we have seen him. About 50 days later, at the sermon uh, that was preached by Peter at the day of Pentecost, he really brought this home. Where he talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out in accordance with the promise of Joel. And he picks up from there with the promise also given in Joel in verse 21. And I want to read just a little bit. And I want to make just a few connections. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear the words, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him. And that's important. God did those miracles by Christ. That was God working. Uh, God did by Him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Uh, This was not something that happened in a corner. Uh, This is something that was done openly for three and a half years of ministry. They knew Christ was approved of God, declared by God to be their Messiah. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. We talked about that this morning. Ye have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It wasn't even possible for death to hold him. I heard someone say, if you can stay perfect all your life, it won't be possible for, <laughs> possible for uh, death to hold you too. Uh, but uh, I don't know how true that is, but none of us have any fear of making that (laughs) standard. Uh, But death had no hold on him. It wasn't possible. It wasn't possible because the wages of sin is death, and he was righteous. It wasn't possible because God cannot die, and he is the Son of God. For whatever reason you want to talk about why it was not possible that death could hold him... um, That aspect holds true. For David speaks concerning, verse 25, Concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. And here he's quoting Psalm 16. And David making a connection as he thinks about his Lord, as he prophesies about his Lord, that his Lord will not see corruption. And he connects it, my flesh rests in hope because of that. That's the words of David. Verse 27, continuing the quoting David, Because thou wilt, leave, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, 
Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And now Peter picks back up. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. David was a prophet. David was speaking prophecy. What happened 1,990 years, 1,993 years ago on a morning much like this was the fulfillment of the Word of God. That's why Paul would later say, I deliver unto you the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, Isaiah 53, for instance, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. This wasn't just something that happened. It, it's, it was part of God's eternal plan. Or as he said, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And David was the prophet that spoke these things. He seen, verse 31, and I want you to just note the end of verse 30, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. That's what I want to bring out, but let's go ahead and continue to read. He's seen this before. He's seen what before? The resurrection of Christ. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, and now he's connecting the prophecy of David with the prophecy of Joel. The Father, we have received, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, now he quotes Psalm 110, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. And now we're talking about the consummation of all things. Peter, uh, Paul would later say, He must reign until all enemies are put under his feet. He's reigning now. Where is he reigning? He's sitting at the right hand of God, reigning. He's in control. He's sovereign. And he's going to say that more exactly here. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. What happened at the very first Easter? Christ was declared to be Lord. If we don't 
believe anything else about the resurrection. Or We must believe this. It's part of our confession. I was watching, I was, there's there's this leftist Christian, he calls himself a Christian, but he denies about everything. I I finally got rid of Twitter yesterday, yesterday. I can't take it no more. But, but he, uh, he quoted what he says, well, I believe exactly what Paul believed about salvation, because someone was pressing him on the matter. And he, and he gives a, uh, a retelling of Romans chapter 10 in his own words. And his translation of chapter 10 left out some very key things. Romans chapter 10. We're just going to go a couple different places and then we're going to be done. Romans chapter 10 says this. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The belief in the resurrection is coupled with this idea in, 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 in the Greek, what you would have there with the term Lord and Jesus, you would have something called an apposition. You have two accusatives, two things in an accusative case that stand side by side that mean one another. We confess by our belief in the resurrection that Jesus is Lord. That is part of our confession. And that's what part of what our friend on Twitter left out. That these two things are connected. That we cannot simply disconnect them. We cannot say, well, I believe in Jesus and I believe, you know, that he died and I can have a good relationship with him and, you know, I, and, you know, me and Jesus, we got a good thing going kind of thing. That is not what the message of the resurrection is. The message of the resurrection is that he is Lord. This Jesus is Lord. That's what Peter first preached here at Pentecost and it's always been part of the declaration of the full gospel of Jesus Christ, where he says twice, uh, a, uh, first in verse 30, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, and next he says here in verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, with assurance, that assurance that it comes from the fact that he rose from the grave, that God has made the one, the Jesus that was crucified on, Mount, on Golgotha, Lord. That is the assurance we have. He's Lord. This is, this is what we have in Philippians chapter 2, in the Carmen Christi, where it is declared the uh, mission of Christ here, in Philippians 2, that very early Christian hymn that Paul accounts for his people, where he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 6, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. Wherefore God, or because of this, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what was preached here by Peter at Pentecost. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm just wanting to see this aspect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this screams out this reality. He is Lord, I am not. I, serve, I am His servant. He is risen. He is set down at the, at the right hand of God. He is reigning, and I must be subject to Him in all things. That apposition of Romans 10 because it screams loudly from the empty tomb. Jesus is Lord. We see this in Romans chapter 1, where Paul gives the context of his writing in the very beginning. He says, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, with authority. How? He was declared to be the Son of God with power or with authority, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. What has declared Him to be Lord? The empty tomb declares Him to be Lord. I don't need any other argument for me to be subject to Him in all things. Whoa. (laughs) Alrighty. (laughs) So, but the empty tomb has declared His Lordship. It's declared this idea, this earth-shattering idea that He is the Son of God. Is that not what he said there in the trial? In Mark chapter 15. Well, Mark 14 in the trial. I'm just trying to remember. (laughs) Where they said, tell us whether or not you are the Christ. And he says, after this, you are going to see the Son of Man coming with the clouds. He's declared to be so. This is declared his sonship. What is this referring to? It's referring to Psalm 2. Let's go back to Psalm 2. And then we're going to go just one other place, and I'll have you out of here by 1 o'clock. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? I was looking at learning that song just the other day out of our new songbook. I was, but uh, but uh, the kids didn't let Holly get to the piano as much, and were banging on it too, so it was hard to follow that their melody and Holly's melody at the same time. So uh, I went along to learn song two A, and and we're going to get to sing all these psalms eventually. But why do the heathen rage? By the way, Peter is going to continue to make these connections. If you thought you're going to find this psalm quoted by Peter in Acts chapter four, the connection is the connection is made. Uh, 
Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Who's His anointed? That word means what? That's Christ. So the kings of the earth are plotting against God and His Christ. Let us break, what are they saying? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that, sitteth, he that sits in heavens shall laugh. I have a hard time doing that E-T-H at the end, so that's why you hear me just dropping it and putting an S. So, so he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. See, God's got a good sense of humor. <laughs> he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his toward his pleasure. What is he going to say? Yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Peter would later, like I said, quote this from from, uh, Acts chapter 4, this very text. And he would say, truly the kings of the earth were set about Christ. And so this has a very broad view of the wickedness of all of mankind throughout the ages. The kings of the earth set themselves, but it has a very narrow view of what happened 2,000 years ago, King Herod, King, uh, uh, the, the Roman, uh, the, not the Roman Pontiff, but uh, the Roman governor, uh, all the leaders of the Jews gathering together to condemn Christ. So it has a narrow view as well. And but Peter brought that out. But what was the declaration of, of Paul? He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Here we have the declaration of Paul against those who conspired against Christ. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. He's Lord. And I will declare the decree. This is what Paul was alleging. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten to me. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And that's what's happening right now through the time the pages of history. He must reign until all enemies are put under his feet. It's going to happen. You know, America, as proud as it is right now, filling up the measure of the very first few verses of this is going to be put under the feet of Christ. Republicans and Democrats are going to be put under the feet of Christ. If it wasn't for that fact, I don't think I could even read any news stories if I didn't know that. But he says, Ask of me, I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. He is declared to be the Son, and he ends this with, with this with a warning. Kiss the Son. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Verse 11. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. You want to know why? You want to know why that you should well, what's the old saying of some of the Puritans? Close with Christ. <laughs> that's, that's how uh, some of the old Puritans said it. Go to Christ. Why you should go to Christ? Because He's Lord. Because He's been declared to be the Son of God. And that's it. One more verse. One more text. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. What happened on Easter? 1,990 years ago. Ephesians chapter 1. And there's many texts that we could look at. I just want to, I'm just trying to, see, trying to, sew to sew together just one single thought. The empty tomb declares Him to be your Lord. 
And now because of that fact, we should bow to him. Listen to this. Paul, in verse 18, prays for the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened. That they may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory, of his inheritance as a saint, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he, God, wrought, that mighty power, in Christ, when? When he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. What is this place that Christ has set now? It is, verse 21, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What does the empty tomb tell us? There is no authority higher than Christ. We think there is. We think that these, these people speaking over here, well, they, 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 they know or something like that. These people over here are in authority and there is no authority higher than Christ. Christ is Lord. And that is part of what we believe when we confess our faith in His death for our sins and His resurrection from the grave. All happening according to the Scriptures and witnessed by those first apostles and still effective in our lives today is just one simple truth. He's Lord. I hope you got something from the Word of God today. There is no, there is no, uh, I'm not going to give an altar call. I'm not going to try to manipulate you in any way to come make any kind of decision, but the invitation's open. If Christ is not your Lord, I invite, I invite you to come to Him and make Him your Lord, and we'll stay all afternoon. I'm one of the gentlemen, one of the ladies, and we'll share with you how you can trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. All right, let's uh, let's let's be dismissed with the doxology. I was a good.